On today's episode of Metroplex Mania, Nate Sanchez joins the show to talk the Cowboys playoff failure and Dallas Mavericks basketball. Hello there. And welcome to another episode of Metroplex Mania. As always, I'm your host, Shanavaz Makani. Metroplex Mania is brought to you by the Blue Wire Hustle Podcast Network. He's a Cowboys staff writer for Dallas Sports Fanatic. He is the co-host of the Victory Avenue Podcast. He is Nate Sanchez joining the show today. Nate, how you doing, bud? I'm doing well, man. How about yourself? Not too bad. Not too bad, man. Um, so it's been uh, it's been a little bit of a crazy time here last couple of weeks for Dallas sports fans. Um, you know, obviously the Mavs have been playing really, really well, and, and we'll get into that. But uh, before we start, I wanted to get your thoughts on on this past Sunday. Um, you know, the 49ers come into town, and, and I think, you know, you and I were kind of jockeying back and forth on Twitter over the last, you know, few, few weeks talking about, you know, who we thought the Cowboys would want to play and, and kind of how the season ended. Um, I felt going in that the 49ers were probably the worst matchup, if not or one of the worst matchups, if not the worst matchup, I didn't even think they would make the playoffs. Uh, so it really wasn't even something that concerned me at first. Um, but yeah, just what are your initial thoughts coming out of Sunday's loss? I mean, um, you know, how do you feel about it? And, and what was going through your head during the game? Uh, well, so I would say, first of all, uh, you know, I had my sights set on much bigger things than just who we could easily beat in the wild card round. So I was more excited about getting the better seating and avoiding and potentially avoiding Lambeau until a potential NFC championship game that ends up not mattering, obviously, because they did what Cowboys do what the Cowboys do. And, you know, what happened on Sunday happened. Um, But yeah, I guess among the NFC West teams, they were probably the worst matchup for us. I do think a lot of people were kind of sleeping on the Rams. Uh, The Rams would have been a tough matchup. And yeah, Arizona probably would have been a, they, I think they would have beaten Arizona a second time around. That being said, uh, you know, if you are setting your sights on a Super Bowl, like the Cowboys were, uh, they viewed themselves as contenders. And I think anyone that watched them all season viewed them as a contender. Um, you know, you, you don't pick and choose and worry about who you play in the first round. But yeah, I would say uh, San Francisco was their worst possible matchup. But it was weird because the Cowboys didn't lose to San Francisco for all the reasons we thought San Francisco was a bad matchup for them. Uh, You know, but what you feared was San Francisco was going to run all over them on defense or uh, their offense was going to run all over the Cowboys defense, get whatever they wanted. And they did to a degree. Um, But I mean, in the end, if I would have told you, you held San Francisco to 23 points, Jimmy G, I think was 16 of 25 at like 170 yards and a pick, no touchdowns. And San Fran, I mean, they had 160 something rushing yards, but it wasn't. I mean, it didn't. They didn't get completely ran on. And I forget the exact stat, but um, after the first drive where San Francisco marched right down the field, uh, their yards per carry was way down. Mm-hmm. So, long story short, uh, the Cowboys didn't lose to the 49ers for all the reasons people feared that they might. Uh, they lost to them because they shot themselves in the foot, and you know, people didn't know. I don't think anyone anticipated Dallas's offensive line getting whipped the way it did. Uh, everyone across the board. I mean, all, all just about all five of them had their moments of just being poor and then the penalties. So, you know, I, I guess I'm, I wasn't too worried about 
thinking about the wild card matchup. I was more excited about the seeding, but I mean, they didn't lose that game because San Francisco necessarily played well. They, they lost. I mean, yeah, San Francisco played well in spots, but San Francisco tried to give them the game at the end and mm-hmm. the Dallas offense just couldn't do anything. It seems like we always are in this situation as, you know, as Cowboys fans. I mean, you know, every, every time there's a, a big moment or a big game or especially a playoff game, it feels like we shoot ourselves in the foot, you know, whether it's Romo's botched fumble, whether it's, um, you know, this year, there's the, the, brutality of the penalties. I mean, 14 penalties is ridiculous. And I think, what was it, seven or eight of those penalties gave San Francisco first downs or took a first yeah. down away from us, right? And you're not going to win football games that way. Um, the crazy thing to me is, looking back on it, had we beaten Arizona the first time around, chances are it would be the second seed, which means we would have played Philadelphia again, which I would have been a lot more comfortable with um, knowing that we've trashed them twice this year already. <laughs> Um, it's funny because, you know, I've, I've been a Cowboys fan my whole life. I've watched them, you know, with my growing up with my grandpa and then, you know, just continued on obviously the rest of my life. Um, and I, I remember the, you know, the days of, of Aikman and, and Irvin and, and Emmett Smith and everybody. And now it's just like, is it, is it just the fact that the Cowboys just play in such a crappy division? That's why we're in it every year. And we always overlook this team for what they actually are, which is, to be quite honest, a mediocre football team, a poorly coached football team. See, I, I, I struggle with that notion because I mean, obviously not comparing the Cowboys to the Patriots dynasty, but I mean, a big part of the Patriots dynasty was just dominating an awful AFC East division. I mean, the bills are great now, but I mean, for the longest time, it was the bills and the dolphins and the jets. That was a free six wins for new England Mm -hmm. every year. So, no, I don't buy that the NFC East inflates the Cowboys. Maybe it inflated them a little bit this year, but, I mean, they had the talent that absolutely matched up with all the other great teams in the in the NFL. Uh, you, you know, they it just came down to execution and discipline and coaching, and they failed miserably in those three spots. Um, but talent-wise, I mean, I, I would put them up against – just about anybody in the league. I mean, you have you, – you look up and down the roster, you have a guy who probably should have won Defensive Player of the Year in Micah Parsons, and he will win multiple Defensive Player mm-hmm. of the Years in his career. Uh, I mean, Trevon Diggs, for all of his warts, he's led the league in interceptions, most interceptions in 40 years. Uh, DeMarcus Lawrence, Randy Gregg. I mean, it's an embarrassment of riches on both sides of the ball. So I would say, I mean, you know, it, they definitely need to do – they definitely need to look in the mirror a little bit this offseason and – evaluate their offensive scheme, you know, especially if they're going to keep Kellen more around. And uh, I, I don't know what the coaching staff is going to look like next year, because I mean, it seems fairly likely that Dan Quinn is going to be a head coach somewhere next year. So I guess we'll have to see how that plays out. But I mean, generally that I don't think the NFC East is why the Cowboys were good. They were great at beating the hell out of bad teams. Mm-hmm. And that's what good teams do, but they did struggle against, you know, top competition and that's that's a big problem going forward that they really need to figure out but talent wise I mean they match up with just about anybody in the league this whole idea that Kellen Moore is kind of this wonder kid you know great offensive coordinator and yeah we've we've seen flashes of it I guess you know in certain games um, you know throughout the last couple of seasons um, you know, there was a, a interview that Troy Aikman did, and I know you retweeted it as well, a, a conversation he had mm-hmm. with um, um, 
I can't remember who it was. It might have been the Musers, I think. Um, but he, he was talking about just simple route schemes, right? I mean, is simple route running um, concepts that, that C.D. Lamb and, and Cooper and, and you know, just didn't happen in this game. And, and you know, you look at C.D. Lamb having one catch in the game. Tony Pollard having six touches in the game when he those are two of your arguably your most explosive offensive players. That it comes down to coaching, right? I mean, it, it feels like throughout the Jason yep. Garrett years, we were all we were all blaming Jason Garrett for the clock management stuff. We were blaming Jason Garrett for uh, you know, all these different things that were happening. And here we are again, you know, three years removed, and we're still blaming the the coaching staff. Yeah, well, it's funny, like interesting, like regarding the offense. I was, I don't know if you were, but I was literally just listening to the, the hard line on the ticket. Uh, and uh, Bob Sturm, they just did a whole segment on the Cowboys offense. And it was really interesting. And I agree with just about everything they said. Uh, he played a clip from a, uh, a pro football focused podcast. It's called the Too High Podcast. Um, I've listened to it a little bit. Bob recommended it. It's, it's pretty good. Um, especially if you're a football nerd, um, but they, they were talking about the Cowboys offense. And I mean, these are pro football focused guys. Mm-hmm. I believe a coach was on there. I, I don't remember who I was talking, but I mean, these are much more, much smarter football men than you and me. And they were talking about, you know, people always talk about with Kyle Shanahan's offense and Sean McVay's offense. Those guys have progressions on in their offense, you know, where you, have one play that can come from another. It's it's showing you the same look. the The catchphrase you always hear is the or um, I'm forgetting the catchphrase, but it's it's basically you're, you're showing the same look every time. Right. Um, it's kind of like running an but, option route, right? Like based based on the yeah, coverage. Yeah, I mean you're showing the same slant look. Or a go. Yeah, and you're showing the same look, and there's lots of different progressions that can come from that formation where, you know, we're going to show them this, but we're going to have a counter for this. And that's what McVay's offense is known for. Right. That's what Cal Shanahan's offense is known for. And they're talking about watching the Cowboys' offense on tape. You know, those guys, like, there aren't many progressions, and a lot of it just ends up being, you know, you know, let's run this play that the defense has seen throughout the mm-hmm. year. We don't have a progression for it, and now it's bail us out, Dak. Um and so that there definitely needs to be an evaluation of the offensive scheme simply from a progression standpoint. Um, and if you think about it, you know, Bob raised a valid point. He was saying, you know, we, we've been told that this Kellen Moore offense is different, that, you know, it's, it's different than the Jason Garrett, Scott Linehan era. Um, when you see a lack of progressions, when you just see kind of a simple offense where the Cowboys, I mean, by the end of the year, they just became a, their passing game was limited to just get to the sticks and just lots of, mm-hmm. lots of curls coming back. And just you sit back and you're like, that sounds a lot like the Jason Garrett, Scott Linehan. Exactly. Offense. And then you sit back a little bit more and then you're like, and then you're like, wait a minute. This, this offensive coordinator was trained, like yep. came up and learned under Scott Linehan and uh, Jason Garrett. Yeah. So it's, it's kind of like, it's the same. It's literally just the same crap we've been dealing with for, um, for years, I've had Bob on on the podcast a couple of times. He's so he's so much fun to talk to, and and even yeah, to listen is. to him, he's such a good guy. Um, the thing that that bothers me the most, right? I don't know how you felt about the Mike McCarthy hire at the time. Um, when it happened, I was kind of like, you know, like okay, like I know there were rumblings about like Bob Stoops and Lincoln Riley and all these you know big name guys, and I, I wanted I wanted more of a somebody like a John Harbaugh or Mike Tomlin that just you know 
would punch you in the mouth if you did something wrong. And, and, you know, and I don't think we'll ever get that as long as Jerry's, as long as Jerry owns the team. Um, but you know, I, when McCarthy was hired, I was like, all right, the guy's got playoff experience. He's won a Super Bowl. You know, he's been there. He's done it. You know, let's give him a shot. But man, I mean, the clock management was, was really bad. The fact that your quarterback doesn't know how to give the ball to the referee at the end of the game. I don't know whose fault that is, but ultimately I, I put that on the coaching staff for not teaching them. Um, and then playing Zeke Elliott with a with a PCL injury, you know, since what week six, week eight is just yep. it's asinine. Like it 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 doesn't make sense to me that you would literally run him into the ground and and then give Tony Pollard six touches in a playoff game. Yeah, you know it, it's interesting because like a lot of those questions people had were kind of cleared up in the Mike McCarthy's presser today. Uh, he talked about, I mean, of all the things you just mentioned, uh, you know, with his the hand he has in the offense, he basically said, you know. I step back and I let Kellen Moore do his thing. I don't, I like, I don't have much in the offense. Like, yes, he has influence in it, but he lets Kellen Moore do his job. And so he's more of a CEO type. And that's kind of the new era of like these coaches, right? Yeah. Isn't like, cause McCarthy took the year off from coaching. Right. And he said to learn kind of the new, the nuances of the new NFL. And that's really what it's become is kind of the head coach is like you said, the CEO kind of manages everybody. And then you've got your offensive guys and your defensive guys. Yeah, exactly. But then you think about it and you're like, okay, so he doesn't, he doesn't have a hand in the offense or the defense. Uh, so his whole thing is clock management and game situation. And they weren't very good at that. Exactly. They're like, what are, what are we doing here? But he cleared up a lot of the stuff you were talking about today and it makes you question it even more. He talked about, uh, uh someone asked him about, uh, if they've coached Dak to, uh, get it to the referee. And he said, no, we, we haven't get it to the center. All the referee has to do is touch the ball and then we can clock it. And he said, you know, that's a, that's a play that we've deduced that you need 13 seconds to do. And it's like, man, for all those things to go, right. It's just, you only have one second of error. And that ended up costing them one more chance at the end zone. I mean, a lot of that stuff was cleared up to, and like you mentioned the Zeke injury, it just seems like a, a little bit of a sense of stubbornness about, how this team is run. And I think it starts at the top with mm -hmm. Jerry and Steven, but I mean, there's definitely a bit of it with Mike McCarthy too, where, you know, he, he said Zeke tore his PCL uh, against Carolina in week four. And, and Mike McCarthy said it straight from the horse's mouth. It's an injury that, you know, there's going to be no surgery. He just needs rest for it to get better. And you play him every game. Like what the hell, you know, like, what are you why, doing? Why on earth did he not rest during the season then? And, and even take it a step further, if you're not going to rest him, why was his workload not reduced? And especially when you have an explosive back behind him that can easily carry the load, why was his workload not reduced? And in fact, sometimes it was increased. Why was he playing against Philadelphia in a meaningless game yeah, where he got 18 carries? And gone are the days of the NFL, unless you're Tennessee, where you're running the ball with your running back 25 to 30 times, right? I mean, now yeah. you've got two running backs who split the carries you know, 35 touches a game for three running backs, right? You split that yeah, down the middle, exactly. 15, 16. I mean, there's no, like, there's no need for Zeke to be running the ball more than 15 times a game. Hell, there's no re need for him to be playing if he's got a torn PCL. Exactly. And it's even, like, if you just had, you know, running back X behind Zeke, then that'd be one thing. And, you know, it would probably still be bad where he should still rest. But then when you factor in that, you have Tony Pollard behind him, who's one of the most explosive backs in the in the NFL, and he like he clearly injects a 
bit of explosiveness mm-hmm. in your offense that you sorely lacked the entire back half of the season. I think it was Dalton Miller tweeted out. He was like, hey, guys, this might drive you mad, but or this might drive you insane. But uh, like rewatching the game, the one drive the, the Cowboys scored a touchdown on uh, that wasn't the that wasn't after the interception where, mm-hmm. you know, they had a 30 yard field. They scored on that pretty easily. But the drive in the second quarter where they marched right down the field and scored and made it, I think, 10, seven, that was the one driver. Tony Pollard was featured pretty right. heavily and just it was like four of his six carries were on that not, drive. It was like ridiculous. exactly exactly in the, the stubbornness to not feature him. You know, if, even if you take away the Zeke injury, the stubbornness to not feature Pollard is maddening. And then you factor in that Zeke has a torn PCL. It's, it, it doesn't make sense. It simply does not make sense to me. And I agree with you. That it starts at the top. I think every Cowboys fan knows that. And we're, we just kind of, I don't want to say shy away from it. I, I think we understand that there's nothing that's ever going to change about it. Um, so we kind of just deal with it and live with it. Um, you know, I think if any, if this had been any other franchise and that had happened, if the head coach had had okayed that move, he'd be out. I think he'd, it, regardless of how many years he's coached. Which move? The the draw at the end of the game? Not or so the much Zeke the draw. The fact that your quarterback doesn't know how to how to give the ball to the ref, which should be taught. Um, but playing Zeke through a PCL injury, I think is just it's egregious. I, I think that's. It, I don't know. It to me, it it seems like any other coach would have been fired. The clock mismanagement throughout the season, we've seen it with McCarthy. Um, you know, obviously, like you said, we're going to lose Dan Quinn to a head coaching job. It's a matter of when, not if. Um, do you think there's a realistic chance that, that Jerry sits back and talks to Steven and, and they come to a conclusion that maybe it's better to keep Dan Quinn over Mike McCarthy? No, for a couple reasons. One, I don't, it's not happening because Mike McCarthy said himself today he'll be back next year. Mm-hmm. And then two, uh, I don't think Dan Quinn would do that. That's a really weird spot for him because he has a lot of respect for Mike McCarthy and Mike McCarthy brought him there. That would just be, that whole transition would just seem really awkward. And on top of that, I don't know how good of a head coach Dan Quinn is. Um, so, you know, I'm I'm not sure how I feel about that. Um, if it were to happen, that would be a little bit of an odd transition. My thing on McCarthy's job security is I, I'm willing to give him one more year. Um, but the thing is, like, I, I say I'll give one more year. But if you make like there's a strong case for him to be fired. I mean, I, yes, I'm not going to disagree absolutely. with that. But I do think there was enough improvement from year one to year two to warrant a year three, especially uh, in terms of the draft, uh, mm-hmm. because I mean, They've been Cowboys have been a pretty good drafting team, and that's a lot of that's been Will McClay. They've been a pretty good drafting team for the last, you know, eight, nine years. And keeping Will McClay might have um, been the best move, to be honest. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, he he's basically the shadow GM right. of this team. And uh and the track record that this staff has, and you know, McCarthy isn't the GM, but I mean he definitely has a hand in the pre-draft process. I mean, in the last two years, their their drafting is kicked it up a, a notch a pretty damn good bit um so i i think i'm willing to give him one more year um and you know if we don't see any improvement next year it's time to figure something else out um but again there's a decent case for firing him but in my opinion i i think he there was enough improvement to warrant a third year i i get what you're saying especially about the 
you know, we don't know how good of a head coach Dan Quinn is. I mean, yeah, he took Atlanta to a Super Bowl, but is that more Dan Quinn? Is it more Kyle Shanahan? Um, you know, who did who who took them there and, and got Matt Ryan as MVP? Then again, they also blew the twenty eight to three lead at halftime. So, you know, that there's that on his resume as well. The the one name that I heard today floated out there was Sean Payton. If Sean Payton leaves the Saints, how quickly does Jerry try to snatch him up? If if I mean, in the realm that- of possibility that Sean Payton said leaves the Saints and for whatever reason, right? If him and Mickey Loomis decide, you look like I'm I, I I'm done coaching here. Like I don't want to go through a rebuild. Like Breeze is gone. Like let me go. Does Jerry try to snatch him up as quickly as possible as head coach? I I think he would, but. I would. That's one of those where, like, I'll believe it when I see right. it, simply because it's so I mean, like unfathomable. But it's you know, it's yeah. Well, well, and on top of that, the Cowboys. There's been rumors of the Cowboys and Sean Payton flirting for years and years mm-hmm. and years. And I think that noise is just Sean Payton's agent putting putting uh, the Saints over the barrel and saying, "Give me what I want." Yeah, um, putting more money. In so his you know, I, I mean, I would gladly do it. Um, that that would be a great hire for Dallas and. Uh, his scheme would be great for Dak, and I think that would that would be a great hire. And I would love to trade head coaches with the Saints, <laughs> but um, I don't know how plausible that is. But I mean, if if that became a possibility, I mean, if I'm Jerry Jones, I'm I'm making I'm making I'm moving mountains to make that happen if it becomes a possibility, without question. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, I mean, look, it was a tough game. Um, you know, it's it's disappointing. You know, I would love to see San Francisco go into Lambeau now and beat them um, just to kind of, I don't know. I, I I have a feeling San Francisco is also a bad matchup for Green Bay as well. But, um, you know, it'll it'll be interesting to see how far they go. Um, and, and it'll be interesting to see what the Cowboys do in this offseason. Uh, you know, I think everybody Absolutely. needs to kind of take a step back and just reevaluate and, and start looking at offensive linemen prospects in the draft. Because if they draft anybody else in the first round, I think I'm going to be extremely upset. But... Um, anyway, Absolutely. let's move on to the better Dallas team, uh, which is kind of surprising to say after the way that the season started, um, you know, the Mavericks coming into tonight's game against Toronto, uh, eight and one in their last nine games. Um, Chris Apps came back, you know, against Oklahoma city looked great after health and safety protocols. Uh, Luca hasn't been shooting the ball well, but, um, is, I mean, you can see how re-energized this entire team is, especially now that you've, they've made the move to put Jalen Brunson in the starting lineup. What are your thoughts on how the Mavericks have kind of turned their season around? Well, it's been certainly encouraging to see, um, the way that this team has gelled as the season has gone has been really surprising for me. Um, things and before the season, Nico Harrison said, we'll know what this team is on the 25, 30 game mark. And at that point they were like a game or two below 500 and everyone was like, okay, like let's figure something out. But uh, once they got the, the biggest, I think the turning point for me was when they got hit by COVID and Luca went out and they got all these replacement guys. I mean, those guys started, they, they actually hung in there pretty well. Yeah. I, I forget how many, I think they went five and five in the 10 games Luca missed. I could be wrong on that. Um, I don't remember, but I mean, they hung in there pretty well and then they started gelling a little bit. And I think that was an opportunity for the down the roster guys to sort of get their feet wet and start to gel. 
And then after that, you know, the starters and the main guy like Maxi and Luca and KP and all, all these guys came back and um, they've really started to gel, man. And the offense is still pretty sorely lacking. Uh, they still are not a very good shooting team. Um, but I mean, they're pretty terrific defensively lately, man. They've, they've held, I mean, they held the Warriors, the Bulls, the, um, the Grizzlies all under a hundred points. I mean, they've, they've been pretty fun to watch defensively. Uh, Dorian Finney-Smith has just been terrific lately. Um, Chris Porzingis has stepped it up massively. Mm-hmm. Um, he has, just in terms of value, not even with trades necessarily, but just general value as a player in the NBA, KP has recouped a decent bit of his uh, value uh, since the playoffs. Cause I mean, it was rock bottom after the playoffs last year, he's recouped a lot of that. He's been great defensively. He's stayed reasonably healthy. Uh, we still need his shooting trailer to come back. And, you know, this team just needs to, I, I don't know how it's happening, but uh, you know, their shooting woes are pretty mysterious to me. Uh, it, it doesn't make sense how a roster full of guys who are career 35, 40% three point shooters are all just, struggling mightily but i mean it is improving a little bit but yeah it's been really fun to watch this team gel especially defensively it's funny because nico said that you know before the season and then on i think it was december 4th when the mavs were 11 and 11 we lost the grizzlies um i think it was the grizzlies and they asked porcingus and he said we'll know what this team is come christmas and that was it was kind of like it wasn't any better by then. It wasn't any better by Christmas. Christmas we lost to the Jazz. It was one twenty to one sixteen, and that's when the run started. Since then, the only losses have been that random buzzer beater against the Kings, um, the Knicks, who seem to always beat us for some reason, um, and that's it. Yeah, we've lost well, the, two games since Christmas. It's like it's it's yeah, crazy. Well, the, that's the thing is they've won they've won nine of ten and if it if not for a Chimetsi Metu prayer three point it wasn't a prayer three point it was a wide open spot up shot but it was a guy who you leave like him twenty percent you leave him open he, he, like he he, he, do, he doesn't shoot the ball ever yeah if he, uh, he you, like you he, live with it yeah his three point stats for his career are like it's it's like your typical center that doesn't shoot I mean he doesn't shoot threes right. if not for a Chimetsi Metu three pointer. I mean, you're talking about a 10-game win streak and shooting for an 11-game win streak tonight against Toronto. Yeah, it's it's mind-blowing. I mean, the defensive um, efficiency numbers have, have skyrocketed. Your defensive rating, I think we're top five now in the NBA after being middling around 13th and 15th, you know, between 13th and 19th, um, kind of at, in December. Um, last Since Christmas, we're, number, we're the best defensive team in, in basketball. And the thing for me... Um, that really makes a difference, Nate, is when you watch these games, it's not just, you know, it's not just like, oh, we're getting a lot of steals or it's bad turnovers by the deep, by, you know, the opposing team. Uh, that game against the Nuggets where we had, what, like something like 17, 20 steals. It, it's not just that Jokic was just passing the bottom Mavericks players. No, it's it's hard, hard effort. I mean, you watch this game, the switches look yep. better. So much more active. It's incredible to see the contrast from... Carlisle system to kids and say what you will about Jason Kidd and say what you will about his past and whatever Mavericks fan felt about him. The guy has done a phenomenal job of kind of reshaping this team that arguably it pretty much is the same team that we've had for the last three years, but
but he's really getting the most out of what we have to offer. Yeah, absolutely. And the thing about it is, you know, I guess I could be proven wrong come playoff time, but I think this style of basketball translates much better to playoff bat because I mean, NBA playoffs and NBA regular season are two different sports. Correct. Uh, it's just a completely different animal. Playoffs are um, much and I think more this half style court. does. Yeah, playoffs exactly. are much more half court. You know, there's no, you don't see a lot of fast break transitioning. There's, there's, it's very yeah. slow pace. Run your plays. It get translates the best shot. much more. Right. It translates much more to uh, playoff basketball than the prior years where the Mavericks were an offensive juggernaut and they weren't terribly good defensively. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, again, I could be proven wrong come playoff time, but I do think that this style lends itself uh, to better results in the playoffs. And uh, we'll, we'll just have to see. But I mean, if they're able to get this shooting going at all, they're going to be a really good defensive team. In fact, a great defensive team with some pretty good shooters on it. And it just, you know, I, I feel like I've said this all season, their shooting woes are just blowing my mind because all these guys have shot pretty well their whole career. Um, and it has gotten a little bit better, but man, I don't get it. They're like, able to get any sort of consistent shooting. They're going to, they're going to really start to make a move up the Western conference standings, maybe even host the playoff series. I, I feel like there's a regression to the mean coming. Cause like you said, we've shot the ball so bad this year. I mean, it's, it's mind blowing. Mm-hmm. Luca has been terrible. I mean, no, I love the guy to death and I, you know, I think every Maverick fan does, but he's been downright awful shooting the ball, um, you know, outside yeah. the paint. I mean, it's just, whether it's conditioning, whether it's quote unquote, the new ball or, or whatever it is, um, this entire team has been really, really bad. I, I feel like after certain players came back from, from the protocols, like Reggie Bullock started getting his stroke back after he came back. Mm-hmm. Sterling Brown had a couple of games in there where he was catching fire. Josh Green has looked immensely better. I mean, he looks like a legit first round draft pick, um, you know, after that Desmond mm-hmm. Bain Absolutely. call out, do you, what's, what's your thought process on why we're, we're shooting so bad? I mean, I, I can't put my finger on it. I mean, I really don't know what the reasoning is and I've tried to figure it out. It's not like we're taking bad shots. We're getting good looks. Um, it, it just seems like the, the ball is, you know, the arc is flat on a lot of these shots um, or we're, you know, they're rimming in and out of I me. Mean, it just doesn't seem like they're, it's going down like it used to. I, <laughs> I'll answer your question with three words. I don't know. It's <laughs> it's it's wild to me how you know Tim Hardaway can't hit the broadside of a barn, and his minutes are slowly decreasing. Mm-hmm. And that's that contract is looking th- worse thank and God worse. By the, the way. yeah, and thank God the salary they structured it to where the uh, where the his cap hit decreases throughout the contracts. But man, uh, they've they've I'm no shooting coach, so I don't know. But I mean, it's it's a lot of guys that are, you know, it's slowly getting better, but they just uh, I mean, like you like we were saying, Reggie Bullock was a 40 percent guy. KP is a career like mid 30s guy. And he's I think he's still sub 30 percent on the year. Yeah, 27, 28 percent right now. Yeah. I mean, he's he's been pretty terrible shooting the three ball. Um, I don't know. (coughs) Excuse me. Uh, I, I don't know. And, you know, I guess my answer is they will regress to the mean, but I've been saying they will regress to the mean since about Thanksgiving. <laughs> uh, and they have not regressed to the mean. So at least the defense just can't has gotten shoot. better. I don't know. I, yeah. I mean, yeah. Thank God the defense has gotten better and they've turned into a pretty good team because of it. But yeah. Um, 
I guess the regression will come and, you know, I might be sitting here in March and I'll still be saying the regression it's is coming. It's coming. But, it's you know. coming. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't know if you had any more insight to it than I did. Cause I, yeah, I literally have no idea. I mean, I watched these yeah, games. I've been baffled by it. And it just, and it, it's, it's funny cause Jalen Brunson will hit these like weird mid range shots or these, you know, floating layups over like seven, three guys. And then he can't, we can't hit like a wide open three. Um, yeah. and it's just, it's kind of, it's kind of frustrating, but Thank God the defense has played as well as it has because it's keeping us afloat right now. You know, it was a, it was a really rough part of the schedule that we just went through. Um, and I'm looking at, you know, the next, you know, kind of few games. And it's another tough, a tough stretch here where I think we're really going to see um, what this team is made of. I mean, obviously we've got the Raptors tonight, but Phoenix tomorrow, um, you know, on Thursday. Again, another game against the Grizzlies and then in Golden State and in Portland. Um, and I know Dame's out for the year, probably. Um, but, you know, Golden State's going to have Clay back. Um, you know, Draymond's out, but still going up against the Splash Brothers. They, I feel like it's – I feel like Curry's going to come out firing, especially after his poor shooting night, um, you know, during the, the re- Dirk retirement ceremony a few weeks ago. Looking at where the Mavs are now, what is your what, – what is a successful rest of the season look like to you? Um. I guess if I'm going to sit back and think about what would I consider a disappointment of a season, if they don't win a playoff series, it's, it's a disappointment. Mm-hmm. Um, I I'd like to see them win a playoff series. And then once you get past that, let's, you know, let, let's, we're playing with house money. Let's see if we can make a run. Um, but anything beyond or a, anything short of winning a playoff series would be a pretty big disappointment in my opinion. Um, and it would be a pretty big indictment on, this roster because I mean, this is the third time running it back with the pretty much the same roster um, plus or minus a couple pieces here and there. Um, Yeah. That that's probably where I would draw the line if I had to pick a very specific line, but I mean, if they're able to beat the, I think they have a game with the Grizzlies coming up. Uh, If they're able to beat the Grizzlies and then keep this role role going, um, you know, they they could push uh, and maybe get the four seed, uh, or catch the Jazz or the Grizzlies for that four seed. That's probably about as high as they're going to be able to get in the standings. Realistic, excuse me. Realistically, with still a half season to go. Um, so yeah, I it would be really nice if they're able to host a playoff series. Uh, simply because you know they haven't been able to do that for a long time. Yeah. Um. And I, I do think they're good enough to reach that threshold. It just They're also going to need some help, too, to have some other teams fall off. But they also need to keep playing well. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. Um, I think the thing that we have going for us the most is that, you know, our best player isn't even playing his best basketball yet. You know, when that, exactly. when that happens, well, if, but hopefully when, um, when that happens and Luca turns it on, whether it's February, March, um, and our defense is still playing the way that it is, that's got to be terrifying for a lot of teams. I mean, the West isn't, other than Phoenix, um, you know, obviously Utah's a really good team, and, and I feel like they always get discounted every year, but they're always a tough opponent to play. But, I mean, Denver's missing Jamal Murray. You know, Memphis is, you know, without even with the 10-game win streak, I mean, they're a great young team, but do they have the experience to advance far enough in the playoffs? Yeah. The Clippers are now missing Kawhi and Paul George. Portland's going to be without Dame. So, I mean, it's... Other than Phoenix and Utah, it's a pretty much wide open Western Conference. Yeah, it's the most wide open the West has been in a really long time. Um, 
and it's still kind of the era of the super team. But I mean, the super teams are down, especially in the West. Mm. I mean, PG and Kawhi are both hurting in LA. Uh, the Lakers aren't the super team. They were made up to be, the and, you know, awful. they're not this. Yeah. And, and they're not the super team that they were when they won the championship two years ago. Uh, the West is significantly more wide open than the East. The East just seems like we're destined for another as good as Chicago and whoever else has been. Uh, I feel like we're on a crash course for another uh, Brooklyn, Brooklyn, Milwaukee conference finals, uh, in my opinion. Um, the West is a lot more wide open than the East. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, it, it's funny, you know, you talk about the roster and, and, and I think you and I can both agree and, and most Mavericks fans can agree this roster isn't good enough to win a title. You know, we're getting closer and closer here to the trade deadline and there's been rumblings, you know, the last few weeks. Um, about certain players that could be on the move, certain players that could be, you know, who the acquisitions could be. So before I start throwing out player names here and seeing if, if you'd want them on the team or not, obviously the two biggest trade pieces are Jalen Brunson, Dorian Finney-Smith. Um, I, I think, you know, I wrote an article about this on Mavs Fans for Life um, earlier today um, that I think every NBA team could use both Jalen Brunson and Dorian Finney-Smith. They fit schematically i think in every which way with every team just the the way that those two operate um i'm i've always been of the notion that you do your best to not lose players for nothing that you try to get value out of what you have even if that means trading them especially because both are going to be unrestricted free agents what are your thoughts on that i mean are are is it no trades of, of Dodo and Brunson and I'm doing everything to resign them? Or if the right deal comes along, are you ready to, are you ready and willing to ship them out? And then maybe hopefully resign them in the summer, well, but let's, let's, let's say that, that there's obviously there's no guarantee. Let's see you ship them out and that's it. Yeah. You know, it, I, a few weeks ago I said on Twitter, uh, you know, it's a pretty big indictment on how this roster's constructed that you have these pretty awesome young pieces that any contender would love to have. And like you feel like even feeling like a little bit of pressure to have to trade them to get uh, another piece in uh, just the fact that you even like think that you might have to do that is a pretty big mm -hmm. indictment on, you know, how the roster has been constructed. Um, but, yeah, I, I mean, those guys are both so important to this thing. I'm not trading them unless I'm getting a pretty significant return. Um, I mean, I, I like the the Brunson and Dorian Finney-Smith for Miles Turner thing. I mean, either of them for Miles Turner. I don't think that made the Mavs any better, um, especially before, especially before Turner got yeah. hurt. That's the thing. And and if you're trading for Miles Turner, it's because you know you need rim protection, you need better defense. I mean, their defense is pretty and good. And now we're playing KP at the five, which is what we've wanted, you know, for three years. You know, it's exactly it's like you're finally exactly him, and you know with Maxi that front court is is pretty good defensively. Yeah, ex exactly. So I don't know how much better Miles Turner would have made them per se, but yeah, um, where I am hesitant on because everyone's saying pay Dorian, pay brunson because the mavs can pay it it would just be about it mm -hmm. they, they want to go into the luxury tax and that just that all falls at cuban's feet uh whether he wants to foot that bill um so you know they can keep them if they want them but that's the thing where i struggle with it is uh man like we all agree this roster needs to be upgraded if they want to contend for a title um you know 
trade or uh, extending Brunson and Dorian locks you even further into this rod. And I guess there's stuff you can do, but I mean, at that point you're locked into that core group of, you know, Luca KP, Tim Hardaway, Brunson, Finney Smith, Max. I mean, you're basically signing up by extending them and keeping them around for the future. You're extending, you're signing up to run it back basically with this roster for, you know, two more seasons. Yeah, no, that's, that's a really good point. And I, I never thought of it that way because I've always been, um, you know, I've every time Brunson does something amazing, I, I'm always wondering why Cuban hasn't opened his checkbook yet to pay him. But um, that's a really good point to make. I mean, yeah, you you basically lock yourself in because it's not like the Mavs have cap space until KP's contract is up, you know. And, and so until then, you're exactly. you're talking another year of um, of the same roster. And if that's upsetting, uh, then you have to look at, at going other avenues. If you could keep one of the two, which one are you keeping? It's got to be Brunson um, because, you know, Dorian, yes, he's, I mean, I guess that's a, it's not as easy of a question as I just made it seem. I Mm. still think the answer is Brunson, but man, Dorian is so important to what they do defensively. I mean, it's tremendously important, but uh, I think they would at least be an okay defensive team. And I think Reggie Bullock can do a lot of Dorian's job. And so can Josh Green. Um, If if Green keeps playing the way he has. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So you have those guys in, yeah, you have those guys in the wings, um, you know, waiting if you were to trade Dorian. Um, and that's the thing. If you trade Dorian, you're betting pretty heavily right. on Josh Green. And I don't know if I want to do that. Um, so, you know, Brunson, I think he's so crucial to what they do offensively. And he's the only other creator they have besides Luca. That was a big conversation all offseason. We're going to get Luca a secondary creator. It's like, well, what if that secondary creator is already on the roster? It's Jalen Brunson. Uh, I mean, he's he's been awesome, and he's turning into a pretty awesome player, and, you know, he's going to be paid like an awesome player. So it, it's definitely an interesting conversation, but I, I do think, you know, 3 and D guys are hard to find in, in the NBA, and Dorian will be paid handsomely for it. He's he's like McCall Bridges' light. Is, I like that. Is my best comparison for him. Um, but – I mean, guys like Brunson are really hard to find, man. Uh, he, he's so important to what this team does. He's such a smart and heady player. And I mean, I could go on and on about Brunson, but uh, yeah, I, I think I would lean. And his, his improvement's been complete. I mean, it's just been miraculous. And it, it, you know, everyone was talking about before, you know, when, when the kid hire happened, it was like, you know, oh, the point guarding kid is going to help Luca so much more. And, and granted he has, I mean, Luca's Luca's better defensively this year, I think, than he has been. Um, in years past, even though the shooting numbers aren't there. But I, I would argue that kids' experience as a point guard has helped Jalen Brunson even more. Um, it, Absolutely. It's it's unbelievable Absolutely. what he's done for for his confidence, um, for his play style. You know, it's it's a tough it's a tough question. That's why I asked you and I didn't let you ask me. Um Well well the the other thing is, you know, where I stand on Brunson is I think he will prove himself, but he needs to prove himself Agreed. in the playoffs because he got played completely out of the series against the Clippers last year, and that cannot happen, especially Agreed. if you're going to pay Completely him. Agree. You know, so he, he really needs to prove his worth in the playoffs, does, in yeah. my opinion. Um, you know, those those are the two names that are being thrown around the most. Um, let me let me throw out some names to you. These are the ones that I've heard, or at least that I've read about the last couple of days, and I want to get your take on on whether you think they move the needle or not. Um, for, you know, for this team, whether it's it's Dorian and Jalen, whether it's one of the two and Dwight Powell, 
Um, I know there's been some interest in Josh Green as well. Um, but, you know, we talked about Miles Turner. I don't think he does anything. What about Harrison Barnes? That one's tough for me. Uh, it would de- that one would depend pretty heavily on the price. Um, you know, it, it's one of those things where, yeah, it's like I, if they traded for Harrison Barnes and gave up anything significant, I would not be thrilled. Um, but, I mean, if they're able to get him re- at a reasonable deal, um, and that's the thing, like, their their flexibility at the deadline is going to hinge pretty heavily on if teams want to uh, trade for Tim Hardaway. Cause I mean, that's the best way you're going to make the money work. Tim Hardaway yeah. is your only other big money guy besides Luca and KP and they're not trading Luca or KP. Um, so they, they would, it, it all kind of hinges on Tim Hardaway's value, which I don't think is tremendously high at the moment. Um, so, you know, I, I, I don't know that that's an interesting one to me. Um, I, I, I guess if they're able to do it and get out of Tim Hardaway's contract, I would be pretty happy, but I, I don't know what that trade package would look like. Yeah. And I don't know if Sacramento does that, especially when you've got a guy like Buddy Heald who's making kind of the same exactly. money and is the same player as Tim Hardaway, just better at what he does. Um, the other names I've seen thrown around, you know, it's funny. I was going to go name by name, but I, I, the more and more I think about it, I'm like, I don't think any of these move the needle, you know, significantly enough for us to give up a guy like Jalen or Dorian, especially with, like you said, what they're doing for the team now. I mean, guys like Jeremy Grant, a, another guy that you could potentially lose in the offseason. So you're basically trading, you know, free agent yeah. for free agent. Um, you know, there was there was a rumblings of uh, DeMontis Sabonis, which does he fit next to KP? I mean, even like that's yeah, exactly that's kind of an that's kind of a weird a weird fit. A very John, weird fit. John Collins is the other one, and John I, Collins intrigues me. But that, again, you know, it depends on the price, and it, it really has to be like a needle mover for me to give up Brunson, and like it really would have to be a needle mover for me to give up Brunson and Dorian Finney-Smith. See, but I don't giving think, up one or the other. I mean, it really has to be a needle mover. I would think to get Collins. I don't know if Atlanta would ask for Brunson especially because they have Trey Young um I, I would, it would depend on their willingness to take Tim Hardaway back and then you'd have to probably package a pick and you know. you'd probably have to get Gallinari from them I mean it'd have to be like a just a swap of like bad salaries um yep, exactly. you know, to get which is either a good or a bad thing depending on how you want to look at it I mean it, it would strap us even further I think for the next few years but um the other name that that I saw that's interesting that I I would go all in on this move. Um, and I don't think it's going to happen. Uh, but I saw a rumor about Jalen Brown. From yeah. The Celtics. I figured that was the day. That was the direction. You're that go. dude, Jalen Brown is like the perfect fit next to Luca. Um, <laughs> you're, you're saying exactly what I was going to say, man. I, I completely agree. <laughs> I, I would, completely agree. I would ship off. I would, I would take back Schroeder. I'd give him, I'd give him Brunson. I'd give up Finney Smith, give him the 2025 first. A couple of seconds, and then if they want whoever else, Powell, you know, Sterling, I don't care. But if I can get Jalen Brown out of that deal, uh, that's amazing. Yeah, I, I've said for a while that Jalen Brown is on the short list of guys in the league that are the best fits next to Luka. Um, yeah, a trio of Luka, Jalen Brown, and KP is a lot of fun to think about. Um you know, I don't know how realistic it is. I don't know what the price would be. I, I don't know. 
but that's definitely one of the needle movers that I, that I was referencing earlier. Um, he would be a terrific fit next to Luca. Um, again, I don't know how plausible it is, but uh, he's definitely on the short list of guys that I would absolutely love to see play with Luca in Dallas. It, it's one of those things where it's like a you make the trade on 2K and like play out your season. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Never happen in real life unless exactly Boston just implodes or Jason Tatum like you know threatens to leave unless they trade him. Um, man, it's you know what I'll tell you. It's it's exciting to watch the Mavericks play this well. Um, you know the season started off obviously really poorly, but I'm I'm excited for what's to come. Um, if we can get our shooting back on track, man, I agree with you. I think this is a top five team in the in the west if not top four especially with all the you know kind of the parity from from number two seat down um you know there's there's a lot of room for improvement and look i i with respect to the trade deadline i'm all for making a move but i'm not i'm not for making a move just to make a move right like it's not i don't want to just trade brunson or dorian finney smith just for something because we needed to make a trade right it's got to be something of value and it's got to fit exactly what this team is doing. And I think Nico knows that, right? I think of the partnership that him and, and kid have, um, I think they understand that. And it's going to be interesting to see what in his first trade, trade deadline, um, you know, what kind of strings he can pull to, to bring somebody here. Yeah. I don't know how big of a move is going to be made, but I, I bet a lot of money that uh, at least a move is made. Um, I, I do think Nico will do something to improve the roster. What he does. I don't know. I was on my podcast last week, I was literally, I was literally saying this is the least idea or the, the least amount of clues or the least feel I've ever had mm-hmm. of what the Mavs may or may not. There's do always something deadline. leaking. Like we always know, exactly. like, Oh, you know, exactly. So I, I truly have no idea what they're going to do. Um, and you know, it wouldn't shock. Like I, I was just saying, I would bet a lot of money. He does something, but like, also, it wouldn't shock me a ton if they just stay put and it keep playing well, but may not be the worst thing. We'll the just way have to see. Playing. Exactly. And we'll just have to see. But uh, yeah, there, there's holes on the roster that they need to figure out. I don't know what he will do, but um, I would imagine some sort of move is coming down the pipeline. Yeah, it'll, it'll be exciting to see. Um, he's Nate Sanchez. Make sure you follow his podcast, uh, Victory Avenue podcast spotify and apple um he's a cowboy staff writer for dallas sports fanatic follow him at on twitter at nate underscore sanch 77 nate thanks for hopping on the podcast today bud yeah absolutely this is a lot of fun i'm happy to come back anytime you want awesome buddy talk to you soon thank you again for listening to this episode of metroplex mania please be sure to leave a review uh hit that five star button and uh, be sure to subscribe on spotify or apple podcasts until the next episode take it easy